You're listening to GlendaleCC.org and to the Glendale Christian KY podcast on iTunes. This week, Senior Minister Adam Hale continues our New Year, New You sermon series with a message on living for sin versus living for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening, and as always, we hope that this message encourages you in your walk to love and follow Jesus. Have a wonderful week. This morning, we are in part two of our New Year, New You sermon series. And last week, we looked at how people at this time of year are looking to make changes in their lives by making New Year's resolutions. And we talked about how when you make a New Year's resolution, that resolution usually doesn't stick. Uh, we talked about how people, they do it, and they, they go to the gym for maybe January and February, and by March, they've decided that getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go to the gym is just too much, and you'd just rather not. And I don't blame them. I, I don't do that either. And so you, you, you go back to life as normal. And we said that we do the same thing in our spiritual life. We make, we make certain commitments, certain resolutions that we're going to do in our spiritual life to, incre- to enhance our relationship with the Lord. And, and we start really strong. And then by about March, we've kind of back to, to life as normal. Business as usual. And if you'll remember, we said that Jesus doesn't need nor want your commitment. But He wants your surrender. And the way to, to make changes that last, to make changes that stick, is to stop making these commitments, these resolutions altogether, and to fully surrender to Jesus. This morning, we want to continue in that manner to understand why, despite our best efforts, we seem to struggle being completely surrendered to Christ. If you're here this morning, I'm guessing it's because at some point in your life, you said, I want to be all in with Jesus. I want to be completely surrendered to Him. But yet, if I asked you, how are you doing with that? Are there times where you struggle with sin? Are there times where you struggle with being all in with Jesus? If you're honest with yourself, that answer is yes. And so despite our best intentions, we have great intentions to be completely surrendered to Jesus. We often fail at that. And it's not that we don't want to. But as we're going to see in Galatians chapter 5, that there is an internal struggle that is taking place in our lives. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles, that's where we're going to look. Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 16. And Paul writes, he says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. I want you to see in that that Paul tells us that there are two forces that are, that are fighting for, for us. They are fighting for your behavior. They're fighting for your allegiance. The Holy Spirit and sinful nature. Those are the two, the two forces that are at war in, inside of our lives. Paul says that the sinful nature wants us to do evil which is the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. The Holy Spirit wants us to do good and, and, to, and to be uh, producing things that are of Jesus. And they are in direct competition with each other. Those two entities, those two forces, they are in direct competition with each other. You know, I think this may be best illustrated by the, by the old uh, devil on one side of the shoulder and angel on the other. You all remember in, the t- in a lot of TV shows, there would be a, a, a scenario in which the, the star of the TV show would be a be in a situation where he would be tempted to do something and and a devil would pop up on his little shoulder and and this little devil would tell him all the reasons why he should do whatever it is he wants to do it's going to be fun it's going to make you feel good it'll be great it'll, it'll be much better than anything you ever imagined 
And at some point, a little angel would pop up on this shoulder and the angel would tell him, oh, no, no, tell him all the reasons why the devil was wrong and all the trouble it would cause. And you all know what happens, right? At some point, the man listens to both, both sides and then he kind of just takes the, the angel and he just kind of flicks him off the shoulder and he does and he goes and listens to, to the little devil and he does what he wants to do there. Now, I understand that's an oversimplification of, of, of this, but, but it really does express what Paul is expressing to the church in Galatia, that there are two entities that are fighting for your loyalty. You know, I was thinking about this idea of two distinct ent- ent- entities fighting for our allegiance, and here's what stuck out to me. That that happens in virtually all of life's avenues. That there are two distinct groups that fight for our allegiance. And usually what we do is we, we look at the two groups that are fighting for our allegiance, and we pick one of those two groups. And we are fiercely loyal to that one group that we pick. And we typically despise everything that comes with the other group. Take, for instance, sports. Think UK and UofL. Two distinct groups, right? While some say they can cheer for for both groups, those people, they're generally despised by by both groups. And I I tend to think that they're like unicorns. They don't really exist. You You can't root for UK and root for Louisville. It's just not possible. But you pick one, and you're loyal to that team. UK fans, they are a fierce fan base, and they are diehard, and they despise all things Louisville. And the same is true about Louisville fans. We are a fiercely loyal group, and we despise all things UK. I've seen and heard both groups do just some absolutely ridiculous things because of their loyalty to to their team. A couple years ago, I was on the campus of UK for a, a basketball referee training. I pulled into the parking lot at Memorial Gymnasium there and, and went in to register and to get my assignments. And I wasn't in the building 10 minutes. 10 minutes. I walk in, I register, get my assignments, and I walk back out to get my gear. And I notice that my truck is missing something. Because I had a real nice silver U of L decal. It was one of the big L's on, on my tailgate. And I mean, 10 minutes I was in enemy territory, and I come back out, and it's gone. Somebody had stolen my Louisville decal. On the same token, a few years ago, my dad and I were going to the Louisville-Kentucky football game, and it's, it was at Louisville, and we walk into the stadium, and when you go in through the main gates, right there to your left are some restrooms, and dad and I were going to go and use the restrooms before we go to our seats, and there's this guy dressed in UK blue, head to toe, and he walks, he walks toward the bathroom, and two Louisville fans who are decked out in their red, they step in, and they let him know in so many words that, the, the visitor's section was on the other end of the stadium, and that's where their bathrooms were. And he was a UK, since he was in UK Blue, he could go to that bathroom. And they wouldn't let him in the bathroom. And it resulted in a fight, and there's three guys that are rolling around in, in the bathroom floor, and I'm just looking, that's disgusting. <laughs> and they're rolling around, and they all get ejected from the stadium, and none of them see the football game. But in either situation, there's no denying the loyalty of those involved. If you... Uh, if you have the time after church, I'll tell you about a, a, an incident that happened this weekend uh, with me and a former UK uh, basketball player. And if there was any chance of me ever becoming a UK fan, it was done in with, with this incident with the basketball player from UK. And uh, yeah, I, so I, I am fully entrenched in the Louisville camp now. There, there is no more go- thinking about it. But. But we do a lot of crazy things in, because of our loyalty to a certain group. And it's not just in sports. It's politics. We've got Republicans and Democrats, and typically 
you support one group and typically you think the ideas that come out of the other parties are idiotic. You can't, dis- you can't stand the other group. Uh, I was listening to an interview uh, a couple weeks ago with, uh, with a certain celebrity. I won't mention names, but she's a prominent celebrity. And, and I'll tell you, most of the time I think she is just the absolute worst. <laughs> she makes no sense to me. But I was trying to be impartial. I want to hear what she had to say. And I, and I was going to listen to her. And, and she's making a little bit of sense. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, if she talked this logical all the time, I'd listen to her. And then she says where she got one of her ideas from. And it was from another, it was from a news analyst that I absolutely cannot stand. And immediately I changed the channel on the interview. I said, I can't, if that's where she's getting her ideas, I cannot listen to her. Because we are entrenched in our loyalty to, to our groups. We've got groups that we like and groups that we don't. And those, those groups compete for our loyalty. It happens in other areas of life. You have those who are staunch anti-gun control people, and then there are those who are staunch Second Amendment rights. Those who think PETA stands for people for the ethical treatment of animals, and those who think PETA stands for people who eat tasty animals. There's, there's pro-life and there's pro-choice groups. All I'm saying is that in all of these groups, again, what strikes me is that we are fiercely loyal to whichever group that we choose. Except in our spiritual life. In our spiritual life, there are two groups, but we waffle back and forth. It's like we, we know which side we want to choose. But the reason we struggle with this, we, we go back and forth, and we struggle with going back and forth between the sinful nature and the Holy Spirit. And we have a hard time being loyal to the Holy Spirit. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that every time you sin, you, you've fallen from grace and that you don't love God or that you're not a Christian. I'm not saying any of that. What I'm saying is the same thing that Paul said in Romans chapter 7 when he said, the things I know are right I want to do, but, the, but I don't do those things. Those are what I want to do, but, but I, have a, I struggle to do those. The things that I do end up doing are the things that I hate. The, the sin that's in my life, I hate that, but that's what I give in to. And that's what happens because there's a spiritual battle taking place over you. But we play an intricate role in this battle as well. We choose which side we want to be on. And so obviously, if you're a Christian, you want to be on the side of the Holy Spirit. And, and there's the sinful nature side, and, and you can be on that side, but they are two distinct opposites, and we must make a choice. We must, we must realize that it is a choice that we make, okay? If, if you hear nothing else, you need to hear this. You make a choice every day which side you're going to be on. You're going to be on the side of the Holy Spirit, or you're going to be on the side of your sinful nature. Just like every other thing in life, there is that we make a choice between the two groups and we have to choose which one we're going to be loyal to. And so obviously for Christians, that means we make the choice to live on the side of the Holy Spirit. But the difference here is is that more often than not, we are not loyal to that choice. We waffle back and forth, we go back and forth, and it's not that I'm saying it's easy to do, to stay loyal to the Holy Spirit, but I am saying it can be done. But we make all sorts of excuses for ourselves for why we can't, or why we don't. Uh, we, we like to, bl- to justify our sins. We, you, know, you never hit, find a person that gets caught in some sin and, and they don't have some reason for it other than, you know, I, was ju- I just gave in to my sinful nature. I made the choice and I did it. Very rarely does that happen. We make all sorts of re- excuses and, and come up with all sorts of reasons to justify our sin. Anything from I can't help it or it's someone else's fault. It's always someone else's fault, isn't it? Or I was born this way, or, or that's the way I was raised. You know, my parents didn't teach me any better, and maybe they didn't. You know, sometimes people do just, they, their parents don't do a very good job. And that's life. But you know what? At some point, you've got to be accountable for your own 
actions. You've got to be responsible for your own actions. It can't be your parents' fault all the time. You have to do what you have to be responsible for that. We say, we say, that's just, you know, that's just the way I am. That's just, the, you know, it's just my personality. Paul tells us exactly what will happen if, that's the, if, if we continue to do that, if we continue to give in to our sinful nature. Paul tells us what life will look like in verse 19. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness with wild parties and other sins like these. Let me tell you again as I have before that anything living that sort of life, don't miss this, anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Did you catch what he says there? He says it's, it's, this is what your life looks like. This is what your life will look like if you give in to the sinful nature. If that's the side you choose, this is what your life's going to look like. It's going to have sexual immorality and idolatry, selfishness, jealousy, drunkenness. And he says even, even more sins. There's, there's more that we can't even include in this list. And we look at the world we live in. And we see the evidence of this everywhere around us. There's violence that we can't explain. Uh, there's, there's always someone fighting. You turn the news on and it's, it's always about somebody fighting. We see the, the sexual immorality all around us. You know, it's, it's, been a, a big year, it's been a big topic this year for all the sexual abuse scandals that have taken place in Hollywood. And, and it's no, uh, to me, it's no coincidence that all of that stuff started coming out once, uh, once Hugh Hefner died. Think about that. It's not a, it's not a coincidence to me that, that the man who perpetuated sexual immorality in our country more than anybody else, who protected sexual immorality, that among, once he passed, that we start hearing about all of these sexual abuse scandals. We, we, we see it all around us. And, and here's what's even worse than that. Statistics would indicate that not only do we see it, but we participate in it. According to a Barner report from 2014, 64% of Christian men and at least 15% of Christian women admit to regularly viewing pornography. It's possible that it's the most profitable industry in our country. An article on Medium.com asserts that the porn industry is worth $97 billion. On average, Hollywood makes about $10 billion of profit each year, while the porn industry makes $15 billion in each year. It makes more money in a single year than Major League Baseball, the NFL, and the NBA combined. Pornographic websites get more viewers than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined. And it's ruining families. If you don't believe that viewing sexually immoral content isn't connected to the rise of broken families in our culture and in our world, then you're living in a fantasy land. There is a generation that has grown up with the rise of pornography and it has warped their sense of healthy sexuality. Even worse than that is now that it's more accessible than ever before. We give our kids iPhones and iPads and unlimited and unmonitored access to the internet. And then we act surprised when our teenage daughters get pregnant or our son has some sexually transmitted disease. Did you know that the average age when a boy first sees pornography is 11 years old? His first exposure is 11 years old? Let me put that in perspective to you. My youngest son, Eli, is 11. He's in the fifth grade. The fifth grade. And that's the average age. So that means that there are a lot more that are being exposed to that at a lot younger age. And then we, we wonder why our world is like it is. 
What I'm getting at is this ep- epidemic is a result of us repeatedly giving in to the sinful nature. And if that's the world you want to live in, then so be it. But don't be surprised. Don't act surprised by how corrupt the world is. Because Paul is pretty clear about what that world looks like. So what do we do? How do we live in the Spirit and not in the sinful nature? That's kind of the $64,000 question, isn't it? How does, how does one overcome the pull of the flesh? It kind of sounds like an old riddle. The, the riddle was, how can someone extract all the air out of a drinking glass? The most direct way to get all the air out of a glass is by filling it with something else. You cannot extract thoughts that displease God from your mind. You can't. You're going to have thoughts from time to time that displease God. But like the solution to the riddle, to fill it with something else, you have to be filled up with, with thoughts that, are, that encompass our entire mindset that is oriented toward the things of the Spirit. The person who has been regenerated by the Spirit is not, is not stuck in sin. By the Spirit, the pull of the flesh can be resisted to, to put to death the deeds of the body. It's pretty much the same thing as saying no to sin. But unlike the anti-drug campaign that many of you all will remember that took place in the 80s, saying no by itself will never be successful. You all remember Nancy Reagan's campaign, right? Just say no, right? That's all you have to do. If you want to resist drugs, just say no. Well, that's great. But just saying no to sin is not, not as easy as that. Because if we, on our own, try to say no to sin, we will fail every time because, remember, it's our sinful nature. It's our sinful nature that we're fighting against. So we will say yes more often than not. So we have to say no through the Spirit. You must say no by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us broadly and and even sometimes more specifically. um, But He always leads us and He leads us through His written Word. Through the written Word of God that was revealed by the prophets through the Holy Spirit. And so we are to prayerfully and carefully and humbly apply broad biblical wisdom to the situations that we face in our lives. So that means, that means that we need to be in God's Word. If God's Word lays out for us the direction and, and how we live in the Spirit, if that's where we find that information at, then we need to consume that information. We need to be digesting that. We need to be in God's Word. In the Old Testament, there's a beautiful illustration uh, of Ezekiel as he literally eats the scrolls that, that the Scripture is on. He's eating the scroll. He's consuming the scrolls because he wants... He has a hunger for that, for that biblical knowledge so much that he wants to eat the scrolls. We, we need to, a hunger for God's Word. We consume more information now than ever before in the history of our world. And yet we are more biblically illiterate than ever before. And there can only be one reason for that. There's only one reason why we are a biblically illiterate culture. It's because we've stopped reading God's Word. And, and we say, okay, well, well yeah, Christ, non-Christians probably don't read God's Word. And I'm not just saying it's non-Christians. It's Christians. We, us, the church, we have stopped reading God's Word. According to a 2015 Lifeway study, only 45% of people who attend church regularly read the Bible more than once a week. In that same study, over 40% of the people attending read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. Almost one in five churchgoers say, 20%, say that they never read their Bible. Churchgoers, one in five says they don't read their Bible. Essentially the same number who said they read their Bible every day. If, if this is all you're getting to feed your spiritual life, coming to church for an hour, it's never going to be enough. You will always 
find your loyalty to the, to the sinful nature because you've not, you've got to feed yourself. And I hear people all the time say, well, I go to church and I just don't get fed. You know, that's, that's really, I'm, I'm just going to call baloney on that excuse. I, I'm going to call bull on that because at some point, you've got to start feeding yourself. If, if you're a toddler and your parent stops feeding you, that would be abuse. But guess what happens? That toddler grows up into a young boy. And I'll tell you this, what, this right now. My kids, my two sons, if they want something to eat, they know where the kitchen's at. And they go in the kitchen and they fix themselves something to eat. My kids don't go hungry, because, not because I don't fix them something, but because they have learned to fix food for themselves. And it's the same thing in our spiritual lives. At some point, you've got to learn to feed yourself. If this is all you get, if you only eat once a week, you're going to be hungry. That's right, right? If you, if you only go to dinner once a week and you never eat the rest of the week, you're going to be hungry. So feed yourself. Open the Word and study God's Word. Parents, this is why it's critical for your children to see you involved in Bible study. Because children imitate behavior that is seen, not behavior that's just given lip service. Children will imitate behavior that is seen. You want your child to do something, you do it. You model that behavior for them. And they will do that. Two of my strongest memories as a child are seeing both of my grandfathers reading their Bible. My mom's father was a preacher, and I can remember seeing him in his study at home doing just that, studying God's Word. He was always in his study. In fact, that's where he spent most of his time. And We'd pop in from time to time, and I'd stick my head in and ask him what he's reading, and he would tell me. He'd tell me what book of the Bible he was reading. He'd tell me uh, the context of, of what it was, who wrote it, and why he wrote it. And, and he was studying God's Word. My dad's dad is a, is a farmer, was a farmer, and often his home was full of grandchildren. That's where he lived right across the street from me, and so we, the grandchildren would all pile in there during the summer, and each morning he went to the, kitchen, to the kitchen table with his Bible in his hand, and before he did anything else that morning, he sat down to read God's Word. How will we ever know what God says if we don't open up His Word and read it? One of the great hymns, Standing on the Promises, it talks about standing on the promises of God. These are the promises that we stand on. How do we stand on the promises of God if we don't know what the promises of God are? Because they're found in God's Word. So if we want to know what God's promises are, we've got to open up His book and read it. People want to know the will of God for their lives. That's probably the most frequently asked question to ministers by people is, how do I know what God's will is for my life? And here's the answer. I'm going to tell you the answer. So if you've ever wondered that question, what's the will of God for my life? Listen real closely. Here's the answer. You open up God's Word and you read it. And through the reading of God's Word, you will find the will of God for your life. So while Paul is very clear about what life looks like when we give in to the sinful nature, he is equally clear about what happens when we live life anchored to the Holy Spirit. When we live life anchored in His Word. He writes in verse 22, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then he says, there is no law against these, such, against these things. If your life is not characterized by those attributes, then, then you are not living in the Holy Spirit. But notice Paul says, it's the Holy Spirit that produces this fruit. When we live by the Spirit, we are in God's Word connecting to Him. Then our lives are characterized by these attributes because the Spirit is producing that in us. If we, if we constantly try to do it, if we constantly try to produce that fruit on our own, we will fail. But it's, gotta be, it's the Spirit that produces this fruit. 
So here's what I want you to understand about this. The fruit of the Spirit, those nine attributes, those nine characteristics, they are the evidence in our lives that we are saved, that we belong to Jesus. Those are the, nine, those are the things, that's the evidence of our salvation because they are the evidence of the Holy Spirit living in us. How do we get the Holy Spirit? Well, it's by what we talked about last week, by surrendering our lives over to the Father. When we identify with Jesus through baptism, we gain the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. When the people interrupted Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost and they asked, they asked him, what should we do? What do we got to do? He replied, repent and be baptized. And then he says, do this and your sins will be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He says, if you want the Holy Spirit, this is how you get it. And then Paul says at the end of verse 23, I love that he adds this, he says, there is no law against these things. Paul says there isn't any law against the, the things of the fruit of the Spirit. He's essentially saying it's always, always okay, it's always right to love people. It's always right to have joy. It's always okay to be peaceable, to have patience, to be kind, to be good, to be faithful, to do gentle, and to possess self-control. He says it's always okay to do that. There is no law against those things. God will never be disappointed in you for doing those things. In fact, I would suggest that not only will God be pleased with you for doing those, your quality of life and the quality of life for those living around you will be much better. And so today there's an option. A choice to be made. A choice to aside to choose. A side that you're going to choose to be loyal to. And you can choose to be loyal to the sinful nature. And if that's your choice, well, well, then that's your choice. But again, don't be surprised when life around you falls apart. Because Paul was pretty clear about what life looks like when we give in to the sinful nature. Or you can choose to be loyal to the Holy Spirit. Having fully surrendered your life to the Father. And living with the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If you want your life to be characterized by that, then choose to live in the Holy Spirit. Choose to live on that side. To be loyal to that group. But the choice is yours. Nobody else gets to make that choice for you. You make the choice. So what choice are you going to make today. Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for the scriptures that lay out what life looks like when we obey you and what life looks like when we don't. Father, thank you for making it clear through your word that you have given us a choice. And so Father, I pray that for each one of us here this morning that we would always choose the Holy Spirit that we always choose to live in the Spirit, that we, we wouldn't just seek after uh, one or two of the, of the fruit of the Spirit, but that we would seek after the Spirit, the giver of the fruit. And so, Father, may our lives be characterized by those, uh, those attributes. And Father, when we struggle with sin, and we all do, Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to stand up and to repent and to turn back to you. So that, so that each time our, our faith would grow stronger in you. And that we would come to know that, that by your grace and by your mercy, that life in the Spirit is possible. So Father, I, just, I pray this morning that if, if someone needs to make the choice to follow you, to surrender to you, then this morning they would make that choice. Father, we love you. 
We thank you for, your, for the salvation that's found through your son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.